Father God, we thank you for today. We do thank you for the choir that was here, for those young people who are finding purpose in their own lives, Father, to benefit others. Father, we praise you for them, how dedicated they are, carrying out your, your word to those who need to hear it. Father, be with us now as we look at your scriptures. Thank you for them. I pray that you speak through me, that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, Father, and that we will not just be hearers of the word, but we will be doers of it as well. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, if you have been with us uh, last week, you know that we started a new series called Profiles, Finding Purpose from Our Past. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at various Old Testament characters, finding purpose from, our, from the past, from the lives they lived. Last week, we looked at Joshua and uh, the story of Joshua. And this week, we're, we're turning our attention to David. And understand, as each week we, we read a portion of Scripture about these, these, these men and women, understand that's just a snapshot of the real full story of, of their lives. But we can learn much from just that one snapshot. We look at the life of David. We look at a, a man who was devoted to God. It's clear that the, the young people that were up here are young people devoted to God. In 1 Samuel, God calls David a man after his own heart. A man after his own heart. We learn from David from this very story, this very passage that we read, that, that prayer was essential to David. There he is up against a huge army of Philistines, and he prayed, God, how should I attack them? And God answered. And then they came up again, he prayed once more. And we could see that from that story that David was devoted to prayer, but we can see from David's life, there's full of instances where, where David was devoted to prayer. Throughout Psalms, it's constantly David praying to God. And as we stop just for a moment here, encourage you to, to examine your own lives when it comes to prayer. My question is, is how was your prayer life this morning? I think venture to, if I asked folks in the room, venture to guess that some people would say, you know, my prayer life is really good, Jared. I feel like I, I, I pray, pray without ceasing. I pray in good times and in bad. I would venture to say that majority of us find prayer similar to what David was in, in, in a tough situation. You know, David was in a particular situation against the Philistines. Many of us are in particular situations of great need, whether it's decisions to be made, finances, sickness, health, marriages, or whatnot. You find yourselves praying only in those times. There's other of us who would say, you know what, my prayer life is really non-existent. I don't pray much at all. Some of us would say, you know what, I would really love to know to pray, but I really just don't know how. I've never really gotten into the habit of it. I don't know what to say in my prayer life. And finally, there's maybe many of us in here who say, well, I pray, but I'm not necessarily looking for the answers. I submit my request to God, but I'm not really looking for him to tell me how to live my life or the decisions I made. And for many of us, we know the answers, but we're not confident or courageous enough to follow through with the answers that were given. Understand, as we look at David, as we look at finding purpose from the past, we understand from David that prayer was huge. As we can learn from him that prayer really is expected of us. Prayer is a learned thing that we do. Prayer is answered. And prayer requires action. 
from us all. So as we look at this story, first we have to understand that the first point is that when it comes to prayer, prayer is expected. Prayer is expected. You may say, well, well, that's easy for David. Prayer is expected. He, he's got an army with him. He, he's going against a huge battle. His lives are at stake. Of course prayer is expected of David. One would think that. People look at us as pastors and say, well, of course prayer is expected of you. It must come easy for you. It doesn't come any easier for us. But prayer is expected. Why is prayer expected of us? First is that God's word commands us to pray. God's word commands us to pray. It says in Colossians 4 too, devote yourselves to prayer. You see, everybody's devoted to something. We, we, we sacrifice our time. We, 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 we give up time to do it. We're devoted to it. We, we put our thoughts and our, our, our actions and our wills into it. It requires energy. You look at the choir here. They, they came all the way up from Virginia. They have, a, they have a long week of singing ahead. They are devoted to that. What would it be like if we were devoted to prayer in a similar way? To devote ourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray continually. Pray continually. Prayer is expected in good times and in bad. We, as we look at David's life, again, we have a snapshot of him facing the Philistines. But as we look at his life, we realize he's praying in good times and bad. Praising God sometimes. Asking God for others. Prayer is, is to be prayed continually. We have a wonderful team, a group of people that pray here regularly. Every, uh, every Sunday morning before the, the, the service starts, over in the chapel... 8.15, 8.30, we encourage you to go over there. We have people praying for these services. We have a wonderful prayer team. They always would want more people to join them. We have people praying afterwards, after our services here, praying for people in need. Because we, we realize that God's word commands us to pray. Prayer is expected. David prayed. That's why Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes up to the Lord. Where does my help come from? When he's going against Goliath, what does he say? He says, I come in the name of the Lord. David's constantly praying. We need to be praying. That's why Martin Luther said, said of prayer, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. We are to pray. Look at David's life and you go, wow, what a, what a battle he was up against. Philistine army was huge. Some of us may not be fighting an army, but we have battles of our own, don't we? Many of you are praying here today, coming in before church even started, praying for specific needs. You're up against huge challenges in your life, whether it's finances, whether it's your marriage, maybe it's a health concern, maybe it's a family member, maybe, maybe it's something else, it's a career move, a big decision you need to make. It's a huge battle against you. There's no way you can win the battle on your own. Facing a battle like that is very intimidating. I imagine it would be for David. Very intimidating. I imagine it would, it would be very lonely for David, too. Many of us feel very lonely in life because we realize this battle is great. Not only is it intimidating, not only is it a lonely place, but prayer stabilizes us. We become stabilized when we trust God 
When we try to battle these issues alone, we lose every time. But isn't it remarkable that when we're on our knees that we're the most stable in life? Prayer is expected. We need to be praying constantly. We have battles against us. That's why I love Philippians 4, 16. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Oh, God's word asks us to pray. He asks us to present our requests to him. Don't be anxious about anything. I wonder about David in this story. Was he fearful? Was he scared to go up against them? God clearly told him what to do. We don't need to fear things. We don't need to be anxious. God's word commands us to pray. Prayer is expected not only because God's word commands us to pray, but what Jesus modeled prayer, didn't he? Jesus modeled prayer. This much we know, Jesus prayed. Luke 5, 16, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed, constantly praying. You remember the story of him and before his death in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's in the garden praying so hard that, that sweat of drips of blood were coming down his face. Jesus modeled prayer. I wonder what the disciples, when they looked at Jesus praying so often, what they would think. It's probably why they asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Jesus modeled prayer. Last week we talked to fathers and Father's Day about being courageous. I encourage you, dads, fathers in this room, pray with your family, pray with your kids. It's the best model that you can do. Jesus prayed. How much more so should we need to pray? Prayer is expected. It really connects our will to God's. We seek deeper intimacy when we do. God wants us to pray. Jesus modeled it. His word commands it. So maybe you're in here and say, well, I get it, Jared. I understand that prayer is expected, but I just don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. Well, understand that prayer is learned. Prayer is learned. Firstly, how do you learn how to pray? By praying, by doing it. Andrew Murray said in, in his book, reading a book about prayer, listening to lectures and sermons about prayer, and talking about it is oh so very good. But it won't teach you to pray. You get nothing without exercise, nothing without practice. I might listen for a year to a professor of music playing the most beautiful music, but that won't teach me to play an instrument. Prayer is something that we do we learn to do by praying. And you say, well, I don't know what to say in my prayers. Well, this is where, wonderfully, the Holy Spirit guides us, leads us. John 16, 13 through 14 is a wonderful verse. It says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what he is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So prayer is something that we just simply do. We close our eyes and we talk to the Lord. And what do we say? Prayer is not only learned by praying, but prayer is learned by meditating on Scripture. One of the key ways to learn how to, to pray, folks, is through, through the Word, through meditating on Scripture. I love what David said in Psalm 5.1. It says, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my sighing. The word sighing there is the Hebrew word for hagig, which means meditating. Consider my meditating, O Lord. Meditation really works like this. It's, it's what, what catapults us in the truth of God and talking with God. After the input of passage of Scripture, meditation from the Word allows us to take what God said to us 
Think deeply on it and digest it. And speak to God about it in a meaningful prayer. As a result, we pray not about what we've encountered in the Bible and through personal meditation. Not only do we have something substantial to say, we have the confidence that we are really praying God's thoughts back to him. And we transition smoothly into prayer with a passion for what we're praying about. That's what meditation does. It gives us passion. Psalm 19:14. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. We learn to pray by reading his word. By reading his word. Thirdly, we learn to pray by praying with others, don't we? By praying with others. I, I remember in college, one of my favorite professors, Dr. Byron Batar. He was the best prayer, if there's such a thing, that I know of. What he would do is every class that he would have, he would take the first 10 minutes and talk to one of the students in the class and ask them questions, get to know them, ask what their needs are, what could he be praying about, what are some of the big decisions they had in life, what were they thankful for, and then he devoted a time of prayer to that person. And it was powerful. I've learned to do that when talking with folks is, what can I pray about? What are the needs you have? What are you thankful for? We learn to pray by praying with others. That's why afterwards, after church here, we have people up here that would love to pray. People learn to pray by praying with others. So not only is prayer expected, not only is prayer learned, but the wonderful thing. And that's when James 5.16, by praying with others, is the scripture there. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We pray for each other here at church. Prayer is not only expected, it's not only learned, but prayer wonderfully is answered, isn't it? That's what we can praise God for. Prayer is answered. I love how David addresses the Lord in Psalm 65. Oh, you who hear prayer. David, in the story, as we're reading about the, the Philistines, prayed twice. Prayed twice. God gave him an answer. Two totally different answers. But he prayed, and he was answered. It was once said that prayer is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. God's voice and response to mind is the most essential part. Prayer is answered. Many of us would say we're praying, we're fervently praying over big needs that we have, but we're not looking for the answers. I know I've shared in here uh, a number of times, or at least at least one other time, of a, a situation a few years ago when uh, my wife and my wife and I were looking at uh, potentially before I was on staff here at the church at another church in New Jersey. And I remember feeling a bit uneasy about this position and being in New Jersey there uh, waiting the call and we were going to speak to the congregation the next morning and Deb and I both feel very uneasy. We had been praying for months and months and months and we just did not feel the uh, clear direction. We didn't feel peace about it. And I remember thinking, you know what, we need to pray. We need to pray. And it was the night before and we prayed and we said, listen, if we wake up the next morning and we really still feel uh, an uneasiness and not a peace about this, then, then we're going to make the decision and, and uh, go back. And uh, I remember n- neither one of us slept that night. And we both woke up exhausted and we went, great. God didn't answer our prayers. We were up all night. We both still have an uneasiness about it. There's no peace. Why did God not answer our prayers? And then it dawned on us. God did answer our prayers. We just weren't looking for the answer. Or we weren't looking for, we're, we're hoping for a different answer. Some of us do that. We're hoping for a different answer. So we say, oh God, he didn't answer our prayers. So we immediately said, you know what? We need to move. We need to take action. So we immediately told the church, this isn't going to work out. And then we left. We've never had such a peace about it, leaving that place. 
we often pray, don't we, as a church, but are we really looking for answers? Are we looking for answers? We often look at Jesus as we talked about modeling Jesus in the garden. We're, we're you know, dripping sweat of blood coming down his face, and we think that's what prayer is. You get down on your knees and you just pray fervently when there's a, there's an, a major need in your life, but yet there's no answers. We never really reflect on the answer, do we? We never focus on that part. We just look at Jesus praying. We go, that's how you should pray. But the idea is that the prayer was answered. Did God answer his prayer? Yes. Jesus said, take this cup from me. Did God answer the prayer? Yes. He didn't take away the cross, but he took away the fear. Or as someone once said, he didn't calm the storm. He calms the sailor. Prayer is answered. We just have to be looking for it. I love what Matthew 7, 7 says. Ask and it will be given to you. It says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For anyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Oftentimes, God doesn't answer the way we want, but he does answer. You know, there's, we do counseling here at the church. Pastor Barry does some. Elizabeth Barry does some. I do some counseling here at the church. And I, I know there's many instances where, where couples will come in or an individual will come in and say, you know, Jared, we've been praying about this and we've been seeking counsel and we're really looking for an answer. And I say, well, you've been praying about it? Yes. And you've sought some other counsel? Yes. Everybody's saying the same thing. But we just don't know what the answer is. I said, you've been praying to God for an answer. You've had people come into your life and tell you the exact same thing. That's your answer. You're just afraid to move. Because I'm going to tell you the same thing. It's not up to me whether you want to do it. It's up to you whether you want to carry it out. It's not the answer you're looking for. But it's an answer. That's what I love about that. God answers us when we pray. God answers us when we pray. It would be silly if he didn't. If it was expected of us but didn't answer. That's why I love what, what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, I can't imagine any one of you tantalizing your child by exciting him a desire that you did not intend to gratify. If it, were, it would be a very ungenerous thing to offer alms to the poor and then when they, you hold out their hand for it to mock their poverty with denial. It would be a cruel addition to the miseries of the sick if they were taken to the hospital and left there to die unattended and uncared for, where God leads you to pray, he means for you to answer. So not only does he expect us to pray, but he's going to answer us. It may not be the answer we're looking for, but he answers us, just like he answered David. He didn't say go straight and attack him. He said go around and attack him. He answers us. But when he answers us, my encouragement is to praise God for that. There's so many praises that oftentimes life gets away from us and we'll, we'll have an answer to prayer and we'll act on it and then we'll just move on to the next thing. We really need to take time to praise God for it. I love in our passage that we read this morning in Psalm chapter 5, you have your service sheets, it's in there, but it said, so David went to Baal Perezim and there he defeated them and he said, as the waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perizim. Baal Perizim means the God of the breakthrough. He set that up. He called it something in reflection of God's answer to prayer for him. We need to be praising God for it. Psalm 105, give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praises of his wonderful acts. God has answered so many prayers. We need to take time to praise him. Finally, prayer not only is expected or learned or answered, but prayer requires action. Prayer requires action. It says in verse 25 of our passage this morning that 
David did as the Lord commanded him. He prayed. God said, attack him straight on. He prayed. They came again. God said, circle around him this time. David did exactly what God commanded. Do you ever wonder what would happen if David didn't? If David took matters into his own hands and said, you know what? I attacked him straight the first time. It's going to work if I attack him straight the next time because that makes the most sense. It's logical. Jesus says, you do it my way and I'll honor you. You do it your way and you're doomed to fail. If he would attack him straight on, I can guarantee you David would have failed the second time. Some of us need to take courage to act the way God wants us to go. That's why we pray all the time in our staff meetings. God, I pray that your will is done and not our own. Why? Because my will is in the right way. Our fleshly desires, the logical thing to do is not always the way God wants us to do things. How we handle the situation that we're in, the sickness that we're in, the finances that we have. Maybe it's the marriage that you're in or a family situation. It may not make sense the way God wants you to act, but God's will is perfect. And we need to act on it. Why? Because the flesh is contrary to the spirit. The spirit's contrary to the flesh. God, I pray that your will is done. We need to take courage to do that. Some of us just don't want to take courage and do that. It takes courage for David to go around when it worked the other way the other time. It would take a whole lot of courage for him to go to his army and say, listen, I know we did it right the first time. I know we went straight at him the first time and that worked. This time we're not going to do it. We're going to circle around. God told us to do that. That took courage to do that. I told the story in the first sermon, the first service. You know, one of the things that the biggest um, source of courage for me was when I met my wife. Some people know the story, but I was a freshman at college and my wife, Deb, was a junior at college. It was the second day of school. And I remember Deb walked out onto the stage. I didn't know her. I didn't know anybody else at college besides my roommate at Geneva. And as soon as Deb walked out on the stage, I knew that I was supposed to marry her. I didn't know why. I didn't know. I didn't. I I had no idea why. It totally came over me that I was supposed to marry my wife, marry her. I wasn't looking for that. I wasn't searching for that. I even told my roommate, I said, I told my roommate, I said, do you know who that girl is? He said, no. I said, I'm supposed to marry her. And he said, don't ever tell anybody that again. And so what happened was, is every time I saw Deb, I had this overwhelming feeling I was supposed to marry her. Deb was engaged to somebody else at the time. And I thought, man, God, why are you putting this on my heart? So I prayed, either God, either make her available or take her out of my mind. He didn't. Every, every day for nine months, I saw her. And so what I did was I said, you know what, if God's calling me to do that, I'm going to take courage. I'm not going to date anybody else. I'm not going to pursue any other relationships. I'm just going to be patient and pray about this until she's either uh, married to me or married to somebody else. What a daring thing to do in college. I'm not going to marry anybody else until Deb's married to me or somebody else. Why? Because I felt God calling me to do that. Well, it turned out well. Uh, Deb, obviously, uh, she, not under any will of my own or any doing of my own, she had broken off this engagement with this other guy, and we started dating, and that was that. A year and a half later, we were married. It took courage for me to do that. An act of courage. Why? Because God's calling us to do something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. For David, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. What God's saying is, you've got to step out and trust me. 
Jared, you got to step out and trust me. David, you got to step out and trust me. He's telling you right now, listen, you're up against a huge battle in your life. You have this big decision in your life. You have this overwhelming need you have in your life. You got to step out and trust me. I'm going to give you the answer, but you got to have courage to go where I'm calling you to go. It's about trust. That's why I love Joshua 1.9. We read it last week. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It was a totally different answer to David's prayer. He didn't become overconfident. He didn't say, I know how to do this. I've done this before. He said, you know what? Everything, by prayer and petition, I'm going to submit my request to God. So a similar situation, I'm still going to pray about it. But I'm going to have courage to do what God's calling me to do. So what's the application? Application is simple. So if you know that prayer is expected, will you commit to praying? Will you commit to praying? If you know that God's wanting you to have a deeper intimacy with him, for him to show him his will, will you commit to praying? Secondly, if you know that prayer is learned, will you commit to learning to pray? By praying, by meditating on scripture, by praying with others. If you know his prayer is answered, number three is, will you look for an answer? Not the answer that you want, but will you look for an answer? And finally, if you know the answers require action, will you be motivated to move? Will you have courage to do so? You know, as we look at, in closing, as we look at David's life and the story of his life, I go back to the verse we said in the very beginning that God said he was a man after God's own heart. You look at what a powerful prayer life David had. But then you look at the bigger picture of the story. You go, what a powerful prayer life David had, but what a miserable personal life he led. And some people in here go, I do. I go, well, why would, why would God even listen to David? I mean, what a, what a mess in his personal life. Why would God even listen to David? And some people in here may be saying, why would God ever listen to me? I understand, I understand that prayer is expected. It's learned, that it's answered, and that I need to act on it. But I don't want to pray, not because I don't know how. It's because I don't think I should. Because if you look at your own life, the decisions you made with your family, your finances, your friends, your marriage, you go, there's no way God's ever going to listen to me. I'm so far from him, forget it. You look at David, you go, man, the way David lived, he's so far from God, how could he ever, how could God ever listen to him? So the bigger application to this is maybe you don't feel like you should pray because you look at your own life. Let me encourage you to look at David's life, the fuller picture. And understand that David still prayed. Why? Because he was a man after God's own heart. God's own heart. God's own desires. God's will. As one author wrote, finally, one might read the story and wonder what God ever saw in David. He fell as often as he stood. He stared down the Philistines and conquered them, yet oogled at Bathsheba and killed her husband. He could lead armies, but he couldn't manage a family. Raging David, weeping David, bloodthirsty, God-hungry, eight wives, one God, a man after God's own heart. That God saw him gives hope to us all. David's life has little to offer the unstained saint. Straight-A souls find David's story disappointing. But we need David's story, don't we? Most of us do. It gives us hope. Giants and huge armies lurk in our neighborhoods. They include deceptions, decisions, rejections, failure, revenge. We must face them. Yet the good news is is that we don't have to face them alone. Focus on God. 
The times David did, armies and giants fell. The days he did not, David fell. Lift your eyes. The God who made a miracle out of David stands ready to make a miracle out of you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the fact that David, as many bad decisions he made, Father, he was a man after your own heart, Father, and he prayed to you. Father, help us find purpose from that, from, our, from the past. We can learn from David, Father, that you listen to us, that you expect us to pray, Father, that you're here for us, that we can have a relationship with you to pray, that prayer is learned. Father, that you answer us. Help us to look for those answers, maybe not the way that we intend them to be, but help us to look for them. And Father, above all, help us to be courageous to, to move on them, to act on them, knowing that you're in control. Father, thank you for that, for being in control. Again, I ask that we are not just hearers of this word this morning, we are doers of it as well. I ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.